Welcome to Ophthalmology and Beyond, the Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society's podcast. Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society is the largest state association of 3000 ophthalmologists from Western Indian state of Maharashtra. This podcast is by members of MOS for the ophthalmologist community of the world covering a broad range of topics concerning the science, art and practice of ophthalmology and ophthalmologists. This series is an initiative under the current leadership of MOS Honorary President Dr Jignesh Daswala Honorary Secretary Dr Rajesh Joshi Honorary Treasurer Dr Rajiv Mundra and Chairman Scientific Committee Dr Ragini Parekh Hope you like this series Do remember to follow it on your favorite podcast app You may send your feedback to MOS Secretary 7 at gmail.com. Happy listening. A warm welcome to all listeners for episode 14 of Ophthalmology and Beyond, the MOS podcast. I am Dr. Mandar Paranspe. a comprehensive ophthalmologist in private practice at Pune Maharashtra India and podcast coordinator for this series of podcasts the subject for this episode is about ophthalmological research in india research as we know forms bedrock of progress in any field medicine in general has advanced only because tremendous research work done by dedicated clinician scientists and researchers over the centuries The recent pandemic and subsequent vaccine development is a testament of that. Ophthalmology is a dynamic evolving specialty with lots of research work in various subspecialties. In this episode, me and my co-host Dr. Preeti Kamdar talked to three very eminent clinician researchers from India on their views about where does research in ophthalmology stand in India as compared to other countries. what are the main hurdles of conducting research work and how can these be overcome a disclaimer this episode is not about how to do research or any research methods i am indeed extremely happy to introduce the three guests for this episode albeit very briefly our first guest is dr barun naik who is the immediate past president of all india ophthalmological society He did his post graduation from the prestigious All India Institute of Medical Sciences New Delhi followed by a fellowship in glaucoma from Australia. He has been practicing glaucoma and cataract for the last 4 decades and serves as the head of the department of Department of Ophthalmology at PD Hinduja Hospital Mumbai. He also served as the editor of Indian Journal of Ophthalmology for 6 years and presently He is the founder editor of JCOR the flagship journal of Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society so i would say in essence he has a birds eye view of research in our specialty over last many decades our second guest is dr lingam gopal an accomplished vitreoretinal surgeon and teacher who after having completed his post graduation from the PGI Chandigarh joined Shankarnetralay and built his career and the department of vitreoretina at Shankarnetralay Chennai he then shifted base to singapore at the ophthalmology department national university hospital singapore where he did some very fundamental research work in vitreoretina he now serves both institutes as a clinician scientist our third guest is dr namrata sharma she is a professor at all india institute of medical sciences new delhi she specializes in cornea cataract and refractive surgery as a full time academic she has mentored scores of postgraduate students at arguably one of the best medical institutes in our country 
She also serves as General Secretary of All India Ophthalmological Society and Regional Secretary and Research Committee Member of the Asia-Pacific Association of Ophthalmology. She has two patents to her name. I must mention here that all the three guests have worked on many research projects and published extensively in peer-reviewed journals. I heartily welcome all the three guests to this special episode of Ophthalmology and Beyond. My co-host, Dr. Preeti Kamdar, is a renowned glaucoma specialist in private practice at Mumbai and she trained at the LV Prasad Eye Institute, Hyderabad. I also welcome Dr. Preeti Kamdar to this episode. And before we start this podcast, I would request our president, Dr. Jignesh Taswala, and our secretary, Dr. Rajesh Joshi, to say a few words. Thank you, Mundar. A warm welcome to all our esteemed guests, Dr. Barun Naik, sir, Dr. Lingam Gopal, sir, and Dr. Namrata Sharma, madam. It's a, a very nice initiative that uh, MOS has started and this has been allotted to Dr. Mandar and his team. This time we have Dr. Preeti Kamdar also in the podcast team. It's a novel initiative which is well appreciated all around the world. And today our topic is on research. And we have doyans in, in ophthalmology who are doing extensive research as Mandar rightly said. So we are going to have a great session. Happy listening to all of you. A warm welcome to Dr. Rajesh Joshi also, Dr. Preeti Kamdar, and of course, Mandar. Uh, thanks a lot for allowing me to say a few words as the opening remarks. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, research is an integral part of our lives. Pioneering research touches many lives and changes the practice we do. India is not lacking in any research material, but there are certain deterrents or limitations to move forward and do the research. To highlight on this important issue, we have with us eminent clinical research scientist, Dr. Lingam Gopal, sir, Dr. Barun Nayak, sir, and Dr. Namrata Sharma, madam. On behalf of MOS, I thank you for accepting our invite and at the same time, welcome you all. I also take this opportunity to thank podcasting of MOS, headed by Dr. Mandar Pranspe and Dr. Priti Kamdar. Welcome you all, sir. Thank you, uh, Dr. Taswala and Dr. Rajesh Joshi for those remarks. So this is going to be more like a conversation and uh, questions can be taken up by any one of you. So let's uh, begin with, the, uh, with the, the question of how did each one of you get initiated into research? Was it very organic? Was it planned? Was it unplanned? How was it? So I would request uh, Dr. Lingam Gopal sir to uh, start uh, this round of question. I would say, uh, as a part of post-graduation in uh, PGH Indigate, we were all asked to do some research project, although we didn't have thesis compulsory, but we all did some research project. So that is the initiation into the so-called research. And since most of us do get trained in statistics as well at the same time, so you use the, uh, the facilities of the hospital, the patient population to do at least some retrospective studies. And I don't think you can call retrospective studies as uh, top class research, but that is initiation. And there's a very good initiation to go into so-called clinical research. And after post-graduation, I have some exposure to basic research because I did work in ICMR project under Professor S.P. Deer, uh, who was Associate Professor of Ophthalmology in PGI. And he had collaborative studies running at that time with the Experimental Research Department in PGI. And I was working with him for about six months, so I had exposure to some basic science research as well. So that was the initiation into research, if you can call it as initiation. How about you, Nayak, sir? Uh, <clears throat> with me also, that's on similar lines, because when I was in Ames, uh, Delhi, then every one of us had to do thesis. And uh, one good part, and at least that, that institute at that time was that everyone's thesis used to be discussed in the uh, ORA, what is Ophthalmic Research Association, where all students and teachers and senior residents used to be present. 
so that was a good learning point and a starting point and that gave us some kind of impetus that research is also important and but one one person's name i will not hesitate in mentioning that while doing senior residency dr supriya ghosh who was a <clears throat> professor he really means this up introduced me to the in uh, some research work so that i will say that uh, he was my initial <laughs> uh, you can say inspiration for research yeah uh, dr namrata sharma madam you what, what about you so i think it was similar to what was uh, what dr nayak sir said uh, we were required to do thesis md thesis uh, first and i would give credit to professor rasik vajpayee who's now relocated in melbourne who initiated me into research we wrote a thesis paper and then he was a, a real researcher in the sense he was very keen to do randomized control studies prospective studies so uh, basically i got initiated into research through him only and then subsequently when i finished my senior residency uh, then uh, there was this uh, problem of getting a job and because if you want to remain in an academic job and if you want to remain in rp center then uh, you need to have a cv because based on the cv uh, only you get selected so uh, to to improve that cv we kept on doing studies and uh, tried to publish them most of which got published and then again in rp center uh, if you have to get promoted then after every 2 years or 3 years or 4 years you you need to appear in the um, appear in the interview again for which you know you you need to have a cv so you would see that at those promotion points the surge in the publications would you know increase because you would try to work hard and try to publish uh, most of the things that you have worked on and then uh, initially it was out of compulsion and then it becomes your attitude and becomes your habit uh, because you think that you won't do it after a particular time but doesn't happen like that because you have been into it so you just want to keep doing it yeah that's very interesting so it was more job oriented for you yes. and then then it became sort of part of your dna so to speak yeah next question is uh, see now you've been into aims and all of uh, our esteemed faculty have been practicing for almost 20 25 years so what is the difference you find in the research then and the research now you have been exposed to sir uh, uh, dr lg and dr namrata sharma across maybe say two decades you've been exposed to uh, students so what is the difference that you find in the research then and now uh, dr uh, sir dr lingam gopal if you could uh, first take this question okay um i would say that the there is obviously change is something which we expect in every facet of life and this is no exception to the uh, to basic parameters that is when we practiced medicine practice after monzi practice veterinary surgery we have seen tremendous amount of change across the board including the instrumentation the way we approach the patient the technology to image the retina etc etc now in the field of research also correspondingly there is a lot of change so what i would think is that the main change is 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 also not just in the equipment available or uh, facilities available but also the mindset of people in collaborative research ability to go across the institutions and try to build bridges so that you can do research as a group which you cannot do as an individual i think that is a kind of change which is required and it is definitely taking place in this country that is a change which was missing maybe even 15 years back that's what i would say dr namrata so i think i would quite agree with sir and would would think similarly earlier when we were used to do research it was patient oriented it was based on uh, you know of course now also it is patient oriented but most of the data came from our clinical data itself and possibly we were not that much uh, uh, attuned to the uh, translational research which happens now now you try to look at the genes you try to look at the serum uh, you know inflammatory markers you try to see the tears so and you then try to correlate it clinically so earlier possibly that didn't happen it was more a surgical kind of a research or a medical kind of a research where you were just you know on patients straight away trying to uh, study a particular question and arriving at a an answer but now things have changed uh, you have more multicentric trials you have big data analysis you have artificial intelligence coming 
you have imaging tools and just like our clinical ophthalmology has gone a tremendous change in terms of imaging techniques technology likewise i think even the basic sciences people have undergone a, a great uh, revolution and so uh, basically now it has become you know a, a correlation between what the basic sciences do now which is again more advanced with whatever the clinicians or the surgeons do now which is again more advanced so uh, these are the things i think to my mind that they have changed now uh, dr nayak your thoughts on this yes nice most of the points have been mentioned but what i will say just point out slightly on different direction mm -hmm. that earlier the research of course the facilities were much less the mindset was not there for uh, being into research that much that has definitely got enhanced now but there are a lot of restrictions and strict guidelines which have been formulated now and it has become really very difficult to conduct a honest research these days and especially if you look at the guidelines of if the patients are involved and uh, so their compensation is really it's a big deterrent and uh, is in conducting research so these are the things which i think that uh, have changed recently about the guidelines and strictness in the research so can you elaborate a little bit on that that when you say that there is compensation i mean anybody now if there is a private practitioner he is not going to have that kind of uh, what to say instrumentation or that kind of laboratory backup required so he is going to do it on patients so can you just elaborate on this uh, what you have mentioned last no means one thing that what uh, the what i meant was <laughs> the patients if you are doing something routine work and simply you are collecting data and analyzing it and publishing that is a different matter altogether but if you are doing some experiment on patients then always that in case of adverse reaction in means the compensation is so great and so huge that it becomes very difficult for the common person common practitioner to to fulfill that or to to get covered unless it has been funded by some big institutions okay that that's a that's a point well taken uh, dr namrata you are in a premier institute where you would be doing these kind of researches which uh, dr nayak is alluding to so how do you overcome that barrier so uh, i i think what uh, sir said i can correlate to that completely because for us also it's a little bit of a problem you have to get regulatory approvals if you have to do a stem cell research there is a whole lot of file work which has to be done sent to the icmr and then also it may or may not get uh, approved by their committee so regulators have made it a little difficult and compensation of course has because if you have to organize for funds then you have to uh, uh, go uh, either arrange funds you know from uh, aims itself which is hardly anything they don't they, they do give funds for intramural uh, as a intramural research grant but that's hardly anything it is 5 lakhs or 10 lakhs which doesn't if you are trying to do a meaningful translational research that doesn't suffice or else you will have to then go to the agencies like icmr dst dbt who take uh, you know almost 6 months to more, more than one year for your approvals and then one more year for it to happen so uh, it takes a lot of time and then also you may not be able to uh, get funding for all your projects for all that you want to do plus it's a competitive grant so uh, again uh, that is also there that it may or may not be you know their priority area or their call for they have call for proposals or call for research projects so it may not be there so i think uh, those are the roadblocks as of now that we also face in terms of uh, research so extending this uh, this very point further so uh, any research work uh, requires monetary support and a lot of other things uh, given the uh, ecosystem in india Uh, do you feel i'll i'll start with you dr namrata sharma madam do you feel the ecosystem is robust and strong enough uh, in terms of support from the government or the non governmental agencies in promoting and conducting research so the way that you can get uh, funding can be from the governmental agencies which is uh, like i told you you have to write a competitive grant and then it's a competition whether you get it or not 
the non-governmental agencies normally do not give you that much amount of funds. Some uh, big industry people uh, may give from their CSR uh, kind of you know funds and uh, company funded research you know becomes a little uh, uh, tricky because uh, you have a conflict of interest then and if you really want to prove a particular point whether this works or it doesn't work then uh, when you if you take grant from the companies then it becomes difficult you know to do that kind of a research and uh, always whenever you look at the publication you always look whether there's any conflict of interest or not uh, most of the machine based research which is there is uh, you know company funded and so it is kind of skewed uh, you cannot always uh, you know believe it or you cannot always say that uh, that is correct because every second year the new product is coming or a new machine is coming or a new software is coming which has to be tested so uh, I would again say it is to do really uh, meaningful research or uh, to really come up with the true answers of uh, various questions. Uh, I'm not saying it's not uh, it's possible to do it, but yes, it is a difficult task. Yeah, uh, I want to ask this question to you, uh, Dr. LG, sir, and uh, it's more pertinent because you've uh, worked in a, a developed country, Singapore. Uh, which has a different uh, ecosystem for research. So considering that, how would you uh, compare that uh, experience with what work you've done in India? I would say it is rather difficult to compare because we are talking about apples and oranges. You know? It's a small country, which is a developed country compared to India, which is a developing country. And they have got good amount of funding for the amount of uh, personnel that are involved in research, the government itself funds a uh, lot of research. It is very competitive, very highly competitive. But having said that, there is funding if you are willing to write up a good grant. And there are they also fund even the instruments, etc., including the PI salary and time is protected. For example, there is a collaborative, I collaborate with one uh, clinician scientist at the National University of uh, uh, Hospital, National University Hospital in Singapore, her time for research is fully protected by the grant. So she doesn't spend in the clinic as much time as other clinicians work. So because her time is protected, she's able to generate good amount of research because she spends time on, on research. But the same thing is not possible in India. It's not practical. For example, I work in Shankar which is a private institution which is not funded by the government. So there's no way they can protect my research time because they, they don't get, they have no funding to support my research activity. So I have to find my own time to do research. So these are all practical constraints when you work in a country like India because we have our own systems. So I, I don't think we can find fault with the system. It's just that we would adapt ourselves to the system. So I, that's why I said I cannot compare to Singapore in here. Yes, I had an opportunity to work with people there because I got good funding there. And I could do some research there of a different kind compared to what I was used to doing here. Yeah. Sir, what are your thoughts, uh, Max, sir, about uh, this? Uh, <clears throat> you see, the research, according to me, in India, which Dr. Just now, LG was telling the last point, that the clinicians and the researchers, it's these two things are a separate job altogether and you cannot mix. And uh, you all know that any work which is done, especially unless it is remunerated well, no one takes much interest. But as a clinician, if you are a clinician and involved in research, then your interest is only secondary. It's not the primary interest. Unless you are full-time, 24 hours into research and doing only that job, and as LG also pointed out, that their period of time, as long as they're involved in it, it's a fully protected. So that's a different ball game altogether, which is not possible in India. And the mindset is also not uh, like that. So with that mindset, I think unless uh, there are full-time researchers which are engaged and uh, we produce that kind of system, the real research is difficult to come by. And also you have to find out like Namrata, Ms. Ames, there is so much of support in the sense that financial support from the institution itself, infrastructure, 
and as well as the manpower support because she has so much of residents that most of her work probably will be uh, will be taken care of by them and only thing that she has to do is to supervise but which is not the I mean, that way she is definitely in a privileged position but others miss majority are lacking that so these are the difficulties in doing research especially in the as a private as you asked me about the private practitioners and working individually as a solo practitioners it's not easy task uh, so this is uh, going a little back that all of you have been trained at uh, institutions and that is where the first seed of research was planted now in every every pg student has to give a thesis but sometimes we get a feeling that it is being done just for the sake of it so how do we increase um, the real interest across pgs do we have really we do we have the infrastructure where the teacher the thesis guide is really able to cultivate the scientific interest in his student so what are what is your take on that uh, dr namrata no i think uh, all teachers and i mean it depends on the teacher uh, because the mind of the student when the student joins that age and we have all been through that depends on the you know teacher or the guide or the co guide sometimes you get inspired by your guide sometimes by your co guides so it is in the teachers and them to inspire their students uh, to do research or to do studies and i think uh, all of us uh, who are sitting here all three of us have been inspired by somebody or the other and have uh, some or the other role model so i think it is for the teachers to inspire them at that point in time because they are at that time uh, not that fixed they have not seen everything and uh, wherever whichever side you mold them probably possibly even if they have the slightest of interest they will get molded there but uh, like you said uh, uh, pgi uh, uh, has very good facilities uh, aims has good facilities for thesis maybe in peripheral medical colleges the the facilities for doing a thesis or the topics that are chosen or the equipment is not there or uh, uh, or the facilities are not there but then i think in those places then the teachers it is the duty of the teachers to take topics you know which are doable and I have a feeling that there is no topic, you know, which uh, no research question which is bad or which is not required. Only thing is you have to mold it and you have to find what is new in it, because no point doing the same thing which whatever has been done earlier. And I think everything uh, there is always a question unanswered, you know. Even say for a few, for instance, say keratoconus, you may not have the techniques and the technology in your center to deal with that. You may not have. a corneal transplant system or imaging system but then if you have patients then it, it's the patients or the uh, disease uh, that you see most often and if you just do a epidemiological study or if you try to see how it is different from whatever has been published i think then uh, your work is done i mean the seeds are sown in the in the students of uh, developing uh, interest into asking a research question and uh, answering it That's Actually, Doctor Namrata, according to me, the PG students there, it is not that thesis is their main job or main requirement. Thesis is a part of their training that they should learn because that is a learning ground to conduct thesis properly, to know about research, to know about publication. So that way, it's very difficult for every institution that so many students every. every year they take admission and so many topics to be chosen because they all have to have subjects for that proper sufficient subjects the proper infrastructure to do that and overall the funding because so i will give one example in my hospital i am finding so difficult that although it is known as research center but when the pg student suppose if i say that this research will involve a test particular test in that particular test the institution says the cost of this test because you are doing this test because you are doing research not in routine case therefore this test has to be funded by the research now mm -hmm. research funding in our own institution has limited fund so they cannot cover all those kind of things so it becomes a very big 
difficult proposition conducting research. So according to me, if PG students, they learn properly how to conduct research, uh, the, the job is done at that stage. And as you said rightly, that the seed is sown at that time. And whenever they get opportunity, probably they will um, continue that. Yes, sir. Dr. Nayak, that was a very nice point brought out. Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Lingam Gopal, if you could just add your thoughts to this, sir. That every PG student has a thesis to do. So how do how does the teacher guide and really sow the seed in the uh, students? I think as a generic answer is difficult to say because I think I, I agree entirely with the partner Nandamanamata started with. It all depends upon the individual teacher. If the teacher has interest in, in a modicum of research, even if they don't do it themselves, if they want to uh, start making their students to do research, then there'll be good interaction between them. He sets apart time to talk to the doctor, the postgraduates. There's no meaning in giving them one topic and then at the end of three years, ask them to produce research. If you don't interact with them, how do you guide them to do research? And they are just learning as to students in post-graduation. How can you expect them to have original ideas and research? So they, if the interaction between the tutor or the, the mentor and the postgraduate is very, very vital at periodic intervals to generate any good output of the research. So at the end of three years, they say you produce a thesis because you have to pass the examination. That is when we find people are try, trying to you know, uh, go outside the boundaries of legality and trying to produce theses, which is not uh, really having facts, good facts, which is absolutely to be deprecated and not accepted at all. And uh, the entire responsibility onus, I would put it on the teacher not on the students. If you don't enforce discipline and interact with them, you have no right to expect a good output at the end of three years. Sir, what is one message you would give to all teachers, wherever they may be? So how do they improve themselves? Because as you said, a teacher is the fundamental person who is going to guide the, the, the student. I mean, it becomes a question of attitude. I would think personally that if you have no aptitude to teach, you have no business to be in a teaching position because you're depriving the students of an important input. And maybe if somebody else better than you who is good in teaching should be occupying that post. So if you're not interested in teaching, I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong about it. If you're not interested in teaching, you just stick to private practice, that is fine. But if you're in a teaching position, you better teach. If not, you step out, let somebody else occupy that post. That, that's a wonderful thought. Uh, yeah, so I, I would like to mention here that uh, Dr. B.K. Naik, sir, had uh, started these research methodology workshops uh, way back in 2007-8, if I'm not wrong. Uh, I have attended uh, uh, the first course, uh, which was spread over three days. And uh, I, I mean, it was quite intense uh, learning uh, initiation into what exactly research uh, means. So uh, I must uh, mention this here that he had uh, pioneered this very uh, innovative and informative uh, seminar in the country. And he's been holding it, I think, for a fairly long time. I, I don't know if he's holding it uh, anymore, but uh, that, that was a, a big boost and initiation for novices like me uh, into what research really means. I would move uh, forward here and uh, now considering the areas of research that potentially we can do in this country. So I would broadly classify them uh, in lab-based work, in bioengineering, uh, the clinical research, of course, which we have been doing uh, over many decades now, the pharmacological research that is, uh, uh, that is going on or is possible. And I'm not talking about uh, really what has already been done abroad or replicating what has been done abroad, but original work, thing, ideas which are original. So uh, I would like to start with you, Dr. LG, sir. Uh, what do you think is the status of this kind of work uh, across the country uh, in, in ophthalmology? Basically, we are all clinicians to start with. So our research ideas will obviously be clinical oriented. <laughs> and translation oriented. So it won't be research for the sake of research, which is probably restricted to basic scientists. So when we uh, have an enormous patient population and a wide spectrum of disease that we see in this country, there's tremendous scope for doing high quality research. 
it's just it's not that doing patient oriented research is is not a research it is also research and it does not always mean going back to the lab but going to the lab and mixing the lab based research with clinical research is what probably the way forwards so biomedical engineering research also can definitely be done easily because we got very good institutions like the iits and the excellent engineering colleges with whom with whom we can collaborate and perform good quality research as well but i guess ultimately it boils down to the momentum to develop uh, for us to do good quality research that can make an impact across the world and not just in this country that probably we have not still reached that point of threshold where this explosion of uh, ideas which are converted into a commercially viable products or commercially viable are useful ideas which can be converted into transactional research that time has still not come but i'm sure it will come uh, dr naik sir would you like to add something to that yeah mine also means the straight answer is no that probably we are not right now geared for that maybe because of the lack of infrastructure or lack of support and uh, because the clinical research as, as dr lg said very rightly said that we have enough is lot of clinical material so that in that field it's really means we are very rich but the basic research and where the from the lab to the means we we don't have that kind of infrastructure which is very common so it's very restricted limited uh, infrastructure is available in our country because it needs lot of fund and i will just probably it little out of out of the way which i'll quote recently i saw that movie that rocketry in that if that kind of research if india could not provide in enough infrastructure and facilities to the scientists then you can imagine these are means where do we stand in the priority from the government so so that thing that limitation we have to think of and consider so before i come to you uh, dr namrata madam uh, i want to ask a corollary to this first question uh, which you can take uh, both together is uh, collaboration across various fields uh, you have bioengineering you have genetics uh, uh, you have pharmacology so many things uh, do you think uh, is there any mechanism in place whereby this kind of collaborative work can be done uh, meaningfully uh, and i mean uh, original work so at your institute because you have such a large infrastructure in all departments plus probably you are also collaborating with institutes like uh, some iits or uh, some technology institutes so do you think that that kind of uh, that kind of uh, hand holding is going on uh, what I would you say in some ways it has started already because uh, we have collaboration not at the level of rp center but aims itself with the iit delhi and the iit roorkee so those kind of things are happening whether it is on the lab bioengineering clinical or pharmacological aspects even pharmacological aspects even if you are a part of a major uh, uh, a part of a hospital which has all the medicines uh, disciplines or all the disciplines which are there in the medicine then it is easy to collaborate because you would have that you know patient base or you would have those kind of patients which also have systemic problems so those kind of diseases which probably don't come up to the clinics like steven johnson syndrome or ocular secretorial pamphagoid which are referred by your own uh, uh, your own friends or or your uh, colleagues who are there in the hospital it becomes easy if you are a part of a uh, hospital which has other disciplines of medicine and the collaborative research is going on in the sense that international collaboration is there the collaboration at the level of the countries there not as much as we you know desire or not as much as we would Uh, wish to be but one thing i would definitely say uh, just a uh, just answering the earlier part of the question that we should be focusing on the disease diseases or on the pathologies which are specific to our country now no point trying to find out a, a, a gene of fuchs dystrophy or trying to find out uh, uh, you know uh, uh, genetics of something when our problem is infection so how to treat because we have those numbers microbial keratitis is our problem our problem is angle closure glaucoma our problem is so whatever our problem is i think initially as a priority we should focus on our problems uh, rather than you know uh, 
if you have to do, for instance, endothelial transplantation, rather than talking about fuchs, we should be thinking about pseudophagic bullous keratopathy, which is more common in our country. So I think uh, we, in the initial part, even when we are doing these lab bioengineering, clinical or pharmacological aspects, as a collaborative part, we have to look at our 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 country's problems and our and those pathologies which affect our patients. See, one criticism I would say is that we are good replicators, but we don't get uh, groundbreaking or uh, revolutionary inventions. Though the type of papers and research has increased, but we are not getting those kind of groundbreaking. Um, uh, breakthroughs like what we would expect with the number of publications which are now there. So what do you think is the reason? Uh, Dr. Nabrata, please. I think you are quite right. We are good replicators and we are good uh, copiers, but uh, the original research has to has to be there and it has to come and that can only come if we, uh, if we focus on our problems and uh, not try to do what, you know, the other people are doing. So I think uh, uh, for that, every at all fronts or at all uh, uh, all the stakeholders uh, have to be aware of this, and uh, we have to work uh, in the in this particular field. That is something you know which is really lacking. We are happy to uh, do a case presentation or happy to take two three videos and show it in conferences, but we are not having platforms for you know presenting path breaking research or commercialization of whatever we've patented, it's very difficult to do. I have two patents and I'm finding it very difficult to, you know, uh, convert it into a commercial product because our own companies, you know, are a little, uh, uh, they're not that forthcoming to support it. So I think those kind of roadblocks are there. And Dr. Nayak, sir, initially also said that we have problems of regulations also, regulatory bodies also, we can't get past Sometimes it's very difficult to, uh, you know, even get grants. If you write, say, I remember the first grant that I wrote for Department of Biotechnology, they said, we can't give it because you don't have any. That was, you know, right in the beginning. So I said, if you don't give, how will I have any? I mean, you have to give first so that I, I increase the numbers. So those kind of roadblocks are there, but uh, I think that is something uh, that we need to work towards i completely agree with you that yeah, because it's like this that for example uveitis now uveitis in cox we have abundant of cox we should be telling the world how do you treat cox uveitis because we have it but it's the other way around it's like a, a person from us will say okay these are the guidelines so how do we change that uh, sir uh, dr uh, lingam gopal if you could address that please how do we do that? We have Cox in abundance. It's not about Cox. It's about common uh, problems. Like FACO did not originate in India. So we have a cataract problem. It's not, It's a reverse. So how do we translate our research into research which we teach the world? The things cannot happen overnight. As you said, we are, we, are, we are a developing country. And I guess our ability to spend money on research, which could sometimes result in a product, which may not result in a product, has started to increase now. And funding also is becoming better. So I'm a very optimistic person. I don't think India is in a bad shape at all. It's just that it's taking a little more time because we have got a huge other, other problems to solve before you can go to a stage where you can spend enough money on research. In fact, just to take one point forwards, the so-called concept of clinician scientist we keep using the word very loosely, but actually it has got a very big connotation, which is not exactly what a clinician scientist in India is doing. A clinician scientist abroad has, as I told you, part job as a clinician and part job as a scientist. It's well defined. So it's the 70s to 30 or 50s to 50 or some ratio, wherein the scientific work is very much monitored and audited. So every year they're supposed to produce X amount of research output. They have got a key performance index. The KPIs are being checked every time. So the output is, is very much there because if they don't do it, they lose the, the uh, uh, value of a clinician scientist. While here we are using the word clinician scientist very loosely, but person who's interested in doing research while he's being a clinician, which is not the, what the clinician scientist abroad is. So that, once we change that concept, for example, in the Center Institute, like Allen Institute or PGI or some other institute where 
traditional scientist is a possibility because the government funds both aspects. If their research time is protected, but at the end of every year, they have to show what they have done as research, then things will be different. Now, the, the research output is entirely based upon the interest and enthusiasm of the individual scientists, but there is no commitment. There is no, at the end of the year, that they have to show this much. They have to show a few publications, but that's not all what KPI means. So I think there is a lot of difference in the way things work abroad and here. I'm sure things will change, and I'm very optimistic that our research will be on par with the rest of the world. It's just a question of time. It may not happen in my lifetime, but it will definitely happen. Yeah. That's wonderful news, sir. And uh, Nayak, sir, if you can you please add your thoughts to this, sir? Because in this field, I'm, I'm sure because uh, both the other speakers have got, uh, because they're exposed to much more research environment and the infrastructure and facilities. So their experience is really important. But uh, that way means I think uh, we are, we as a, because um, myself, I consider as just as a clinician and then doing some, trying to do some research and trying to, to, to guide some students. So that way means I cannot put too many points in this, but uh, definitely what Dr. Lingam said at the end that it is going to come to India, but it will take a lot of time. And he probably said that at least not in his lifetime, but later on it will definitely come. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, there is one, one comment uh, which uh, I would like to make is that, uh, do you feel that uh, Indians uh, by nature are risk averse? Because research involves taking risk. You don't know if that project will fructify into something meaningful. Uh, do you think we are by nature risk averse, uh, LG sir? Absolutely not. Because if you see the publications from, the, from abroad, there are lots of Indian origin people who are doing research outside. It's just that the environment, the opportunity is what made them to do the research. We are not risk averse. It's just that within the country, we have other problems to deal with. And hence, you're burdened with, so saddled with so much of clinical workload. You don't have time, you don't have facility, you don't have funding to set apart time to do the kind of research which can be done outside. So when you go abroad, the same Indian is working so well, they're outside and he's able to produce papers and research products. Why is it so? It's just that the environment is different. The funding is different, opportunity is different. I don't think as Indians, we are anyway, in no way are different from anybody else, else elsewhere in the world. We are still, we are, I mean, as good as anybody else. It's just a question of the opportunity, our environment and facilities that, that create the difference. And in uh, India, probably the research is so far not being given so much, as I said in the beginning, that it is not remunerative uh, still in India. So first of all, they have to make up for their living. And once that is fulfilled, then only one can think of something beyond which is research and all. And of course, it needs a good infrastructure and support. So these things are lacking. That's the reason that why in India, we are not able to produce good research so much. But when whenever they go outside abroad, because their environment is different, facilities are different and the mindset is different. So that's why they could do that. Uh, Dr. Namrata, do you think there is any bias in the publishing world against uh, certain uh, publications from a specific country or a specific institute? Do you find there is any bias or it's very fair? I don't think there is any bias. There may be uh, some anecdotal incidents which may happen here and there. That is a different thing. But uh, as such, I don't think there is any bias. Of course, those kind of things do happen that, you know, uh, journals which are, say, ophthalmology would take subjects on uh, or diseases or pathologies, which are more, uh, you know, uh, uh, which they can identify with more. And probably they will say that uh, particular thing which you send for publication, that's, this is not our problem. This is not our major problem. So it is suited to a journal which is, you know, uh, to Indian journal or to journal in the Asian countries or whatever. But by and large, I don't think there is a bias. If you want to get something published, it does get published. It may not get in the journal that you want to, or it may sometimes not get published in the in the journal that you think, you know, that particular work is appropriate for. 
but it does see the light of the day it it doesn't happen that you know it, it doesn't get published anywhere it is there on the pubnet okay uh, but i i yeah i will slightly add in this from the editor's point of view because as an editor yeah. you are never biased you always think that okay whatever is the if the research is proper if the methodology is proper writing is proper and the subject is appropriate then definitely it should be published and means it is means uh, that is in the mind a bias is regarding what because what dr namrata said that every journal has constraint of space because there is always limited space in the print journal so therefore it there has to be means somewhere some cut off point and that's why there is one saying which is said among editor that all articles are publishable somewhere so not necessary that every everywhere means every article is publishable everywhere and if you know the story which is the florcine angiography novotanian elvis the first article which he wrote on this was refused by journal of ophthalmology and ultimately it got published in circulation and then you can imagine that kind of path breaking research if the journal can refuse so so still means but it was of course i'm sure it was not biased maybe some kind of ignorance at that time that's why it was not considered that it is so important a topic and yes one bias which i always feel is there that there is a bias towards publishing a negative result but a positive result the more chances that it will get published easily but uh, that is the just the nature but sometimes even the negative result also serves the purpose it's not that a negative result means it is useless that is also equally important just like the positive results right uh, dr gopal uh, could you just add to what dr navrata sharma and uh, nayak sir have uh, already stated uh, i agree with them that there is really no uh, fundamental bias there may be isolated examples of where The, uh, there may be vested interest. They are trying to block uh, your publication because that guy who is reviewing also is working on the same area and he wants his results to be published first. Those will be isolated examples. They are always there. Be, at the end of the day, we are all human beings, and human beings now are of the wide, uh, widely different nature. So there will be always people who try to you know cut corners and try to probably uh, be a little biased. But in general, I would say it is not biased and. If your if your publication is of good quality, it will definitely get published. So I think one uh, take home would be for our audiences that if you feel your research is good, persist. As Dr. Namrata said, it will see the light of the day. Uh, now, uh, just winding the clock back a bit. Uh, in in the US, uh, typically you have this program of MD PhD. Uh, where they do this dual uh, degree or dual course where the student automatically gets exposed to the clinical side as well as the research side and uh, probably there are good posts uh, for or opportunity job opportunities for uh, such uh, profiles so uh, i would like to start with you uh, dr sharma do you think uh, this kind of a program should be introduced in our uh, postgraduate institutes would we would it really benefit in any way in 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 a meaningful way the way research would be conducted uh, uh, through these these uh, students i think uh, if you introduce such a course or uh, such a thing at, at least it will change the mindset of the people that you know there this is a possibility and this exists as of now i, I don't think very many people are aware that they can do phd after md in rp center itself if you ask me Uh, out of all the faculty members uh, that to now earlier i i can't remember of any example there are two people who have done md and then subsequently gone on to do phd so they are two clinician scientists but uh, i think in the other private organizations uh, some people are doing phd for instance in narayan netrale but i think if it is introduced in in the medical colleges then at least people are going to be or the students are going to be aware that such a possibility exists and if they want they can avail it so it will be a good idea to introduce this but because as of now one does mbbs then one goes to md or ms whatever uh, the degree is and then that that phd option doesn't exist in his mind as of now i mean that 
that bracket is not there. So I'm sure if that bracket is created either in an optional way, uh, in the optional way, of course, because that cannot be made compulsory, it is going to be a, it is going to be a good idea. Uh, would uh, you like to uh, add to that, Dr. LG, sir? Yeah, I 100% agree that uh, in a country like US, for example, people who even before they enter into post-graduation or even graduate, even MBBS level, that if they're interested, they usually spend one or two months at least a summer or uh, some holidays in a research lab doing a mini project. What it does is it may not be upsetting research. It gives them an insight into what research is all about. The meticulous detail, the kind of planning required, the kind of execution required, statistical application, et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of exposure probably is not that easy to get in India across the board, even if students are interested. Number two, doing instead of you, you can have MD PhD programs agreed, but you can also have people doing PhD after MD if they're interested in, which is possible in this country even today. There are lots of people in private institutions also for doing PhD in the local universities. But what is important, of course, is uh, the stress, whether after doing PhD, is there any uh, preference given to the person in terms of an academic career, if they are having MD, PhD, or PhD you are doing just for your own satisfaction. That, is, that could probably make a difference. For example, just, I, just to example, I give an example, Singapore National Eye Center, Ritna Department, 80% of the Retina faculty are PhDs. They are not only postgraduates, but they are also PhDs, which is why the quality of research will be extraordinarily good because they have done PhD as well. So any academic institution, maybe they should make it compulsory that beyond the level, maybe the assistant professor level, you can go up the ladder in an academic institution only if you have a PhD as well. This is the kind of ruling call which can be brought in to enhance the capabilities of the faculty in an academic institution. So they do PhD after uh, finishing their post-graduation or, or can you do it concurrently? Is there anything? No, it's so, not concurrent. It's usually done after post-graduation okay. and uh, or you do before. Like for example, they have got, I, I used to work with uh, one collaborator. She did PhD in Cambridge uh, and another girl did in Oxford in basic sciences. And then they came and joined the residency program, became ophthalmologist. But because of their PhD back, background, they could quickly become clinician scientists. So they, they have a protected time. They have their own lab where they do basic science work, including, you know, uh, like genetics or molecular biology or whatever it is, while being clinicians, because they are already PhDs. So you can do it any other time, but it's very difficult for you to combine PhD with the post-graduation because it's like okay. a on two horses, you know. You should finish your post-graduation and do PhD or do PhD and join post-graduation. So here I'd like to ask you, sir, uh, you have done Master of Public Health at a fairly advanced stage from the London School of Tropical Medicine. Uh, what uh, made you do it uh, in the first place and what had been your experience after doing the course? How has it changed your perspective? I think it's a, it's a very good decision I took because I always felt uh, difficulty in interpreting statistics, et cetera, et cetera. And epidemiology is a very loose term, and I did not understand the concepts, etc. Basic research. So when I went to Singapore, uh, I thought I will use that opportunity to um, to join a, a course. And I was exploring within Singapore itself. Then suddenly I found that within Singapore there was no access for me, and that's when I joined the University of London course in the London School of Tropical Medicine. That was a fantastic course. I really enjoyed it. First, I did what's called diploma and which is eight modules. Then I converted into MSc and made another three modules. It took me three and a half years of studying to pass all the modules. But I can say it made a tremendous difference for me the way I write my own papers, the way I am able to critique others' papers. Also, it, is, uh, it has made a tremendous impact. So I think I would strongly recommend that to everybody who is interested in research to do some kind of epidemiology course, because it's not just epidemiology, they, they introduce you to statistics, biostatistics, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I would have to ask uh, Dr. Nayak, sir, uh, uh, just an extension of uh, this, this very question. You have been editor of uh, IGO and now, of course, uh, GCOR, a founding editor of GCOR. Do you think as an editor, it is extremely important for you to understand statistics 
and uh, uh, how does how does one really go about it apart from the course which uh, dr lg sir has mentioned now if someone has to do their job sincerely and properly then it is a necessity is it is definitely necessary and you will be surprised to know i finished my editorship at both the places and still because i because now i have developed some some kind of interest but and and i also want to join a course like this and at this age i want to do that even now it's not late and i am interested that i will do that and fortunately i have got some time now at my i am at my disposal so i am sincerely thinking but was now the utilities will not be much for me but still because it has generated interest in me while serving at those posts for so many years so i would say the take home message both from dr nayak and what dr lg said is if you think you are lacking somewhere take help at whatever age whatever stage in life and this is from people who have published so extensively and yet uh, they took this course so take it keep on uh, renovate i mean uh, renovating your yourself and that's one essential part of research so i think as a final question um, uh, to all three panelists that eventually most of the ophthalmologists they go ahead and join private practice so how can they keep up with research at whatever level they can so what would be an advice to them so we'll start with you sir uh, dr uh, lg sir please uh i'm sure if it's a question again aptitude if you, even if just because you're a private practitioner does not mean all avenues for research are blocked if you have real aptitude you can collaborate with others and do research whatever you want to do but if you are into private practice because you don't want to be involved in this that is fine it's your interest is to do clinical care that's equally important but that's the most important reason why we are doctors so there is nothing wrong in not doing research because everybody need not be doing research but if you're interested in research and you're you happen to be in pertotis because you never opportunity to work in academic institution that doesn't stop you from doing research you can always set apart one day in the week this day this to this day i will not do clinical practice i will do research so there you need to be willing to compromise on your monetary remuneration versus your interest in research so that is where your interest will drive the final package if you are interested you will not be you will not be averse to the idea of giving up practice for one day in a week and that day you do research by collaboration with somebody some institution wherever you want to do research it's an individual driven uh, thing not something which can be generic that's wonderful advice sir so dr namrata sharma so i completely agree with sir it is your own attitude and your own aptitude for research which will drive you to find time resources questions ideas and the way to implement it but i have seen one thing which is common across all uh, you know all individuals you see uh, we have examples of people starting as single private practitioners making their corporate chains not doing any research but then eventually after they have made multiple hospitals and they have a lot of staff and they have a lot of people and they have a lot of data all of them want to you know publish all of them want to new, do new things and all of them want to uh, you know write publications for journals so even when they started as a single practitioner you know the end point is the same so i think uh, after you know they the problems of setting up a clinical practice and then uh, getting it into maintenance phase and then you know uh, all those kind of problems are over after many years you would see that you know you see publications from those Uh, hospitals or centers or corporate institutions sometimes second generation third generation ophthalmologists are doing it so uh, it is i think everybody's desire to do it is only a matter of time a matter of uh, money matter of resources because i think everybody eventually whatever you have learned you 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 want to give it give some part of it to the world back and also you want to be recognized so uh, that uh, that uh, uh, spirit of recognition you know drives you to do it uh, at a time when you have established yourself that, that that's so true dr namrata and uh, nayak sir your thoughts please no it's a <clears throat> rightly said that everyone everyone means wants to publish 
wants to get satisfaction of publication and doing some research but it all depends what opportunity one gets but one basic thing if anyone who has got inquisitive mind and with some reasoning means the proper reasoning then anyone can get involved in research and one example which i always give because in maharashtra there was a physician practitioner in mahad a small town in maharashtra and their scorpion bite was very common and people used to die and then he just got involved himself and he found out a treatment by vasodilator and now that treatment is recommended everywhere all over the world of that means that is a standard uh, treatment protocol of that scorpion bite and his publication are means so many so many that probably only means only some of means some of us can beat him so it's not that a small place no one can do it but these things are of course it's a rare examples not that everyone can do that but inquisitive mind should be there reasoning should be there and overall overall the honesty has to be there because if honesty is there then that gives you maximum satisfaction in research and publication and uh, and all that whatever you do so i'm sure listeners will have gained a lot of important points from this uh, deep discussion about uh, research in ophthalmology specifically in india and the real purpose of this episode was to encourage more and more people to look at research as something which is viable which should be done because ultimately we are answerable to our patients and uh, we are indeed extremely fortunate to have three eminent learned experienced faculty guest faculty for this episode i sincerely thank each one of you uh, dr lingam gopal sir dr bikan ayak sir and dr namrata sharma madam for sparing your valuable time and thoughts in joining us for this special episode on uh, research i would like to end this uh, episode with a quote i read somewhere which i think is very pertinent to the topic and it uh, said it's an anonymous quote which says that among all things that you can possibly be in this world be curious and persistent i once again thank you for your time and your thoughts and uh, uh, would like to interact with you uh, on various other platforms in the future and mm-hmm. i thank the maharashtra ophthalmological society our president uh, dr jignesh taswala and dr rajesh joshi and the entire team of uh, mos for uh, supporting this endeavor uh, uh, dr taswala would like to add a few words it was a fantastic podcast uh, uh, today mandar very well brought out questions and the answers from the luminaries that we had and i sincerely thank uh, the, uh, the podcast team for making genuine efforts to see and delve into research and and a big thank you to all the three luminaries who have joined today taken time out for the maharashtra ophthalmological society and gave an a deep insight into how to go about the research project thank you very much and before we sign off a special thank you to my co anchor dr preeti kamdar for all the efforts that she has taken in designing this episode so thank you once again and bye this is a maharashtra ophthalmological society production the podcast team of ophthalmologist includes dr preeti kamdar dr pravin vyavahare Dr. Pravin Patil, Dr. Rahul Tiwari and myself Dr. Mandar Paranjpe. Thank you for listening.